This morning, we're going to begin a new sermon series uh, studying the book of Galatians. Now, Galatians, it was written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in the Galatian province of Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey. Um, these churches, Paul planted himself on his first missionary journey. And we'll see this morning that once Paul left, a group of heretical teachers came in claiming to be followers of Jesus and taught a gospel that was antithetical to the one that we see in Scripture. Paul writes this letter to combat this heretical teaching and to bring the churches back in line with God's Word. This morning we're going to look at the first ten verses of the first chapter of Galatians, in which Paul gives a very pointed and intense summary of the problem in the church and the need to be transfixed on the absolute unchanging Word of God. Let's now read together from God's holy, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word from Galatians 1, 1 through 10. This is the Word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But, even if I or an angel from heaven should play gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, we thank you for your word. Please open our hearts and our minds that we may hear your word. We may be convicted of our sin and we may turn to you for turn to you for salvation, for your righteousness, Father, and that we may grow in you and know you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Children whose parents desire for them to attend stepping stones are now dismissed. We live in a society today that is fast changing. Honestly, that really may be an understatement. Fast changing specifically in the idea of community values and shared understanding of the world. In the 60s, there was some commonly held community values and a shared understanding of the world. It has at its general moral foundation a very moralistic understanding of God's word. Now fast forward a generation, and that commonality was replaced with moral relativism based on personal feelings. 
but usually they were internally consistent and could be summed up in the phrase, you do you, or let's both agree to disagree. Fast forward to the last decade. There were very, through a variety of very different cultural changes, our commonly held values, our commonly held, sorry, community values are based still on a person's individual feelings, but they almost shift minute to minute, moment to moment. And a shared understanding of the world is not, is not found in common ground. Instead, the person with the squeakiest wheel or the most underrepresented ideology is seen as correct in an ever-changing standard. This could hardly even be seen as a standard by any definition of the word. Yet this is the culture we live in, one that rejects a solid and unchanging foundation for one that sits to fit the needs of the moment. So when it comes to God's word, which is rigid, unchanging, and absolute, and as we'll see in a few minutes, what, what are we to do? Are we to follow in the ways of the culture and change with the times and be, as one classic sci-fi show would say, the church must move on? Or do we stay with God's foundation and instead do not um, forsake the unchanging gospel? We see we also must cling to our ageless, fundamental, and static foundation of God's word. Our text this morning makes it clear that we will always see challenges, for there have always been challenges to the truth of the gospel. And by that I mean the whole counsel of God, his holy, whole, holy word. And we must remain transfixed, like the parable um, in Matthew 7 of the man who built his house upon the rock and not the shifting sands of an ever-changing and evolving culture. Paul here, he is stating um, that we must remain transfixed and reminds us that we must know the truth of the gospel. We must beware of false gospels, and we must live according to the gospel, even when it means being at odds with our families, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, all while seeking to love them and walking side by side with them. For the gospel is true today as it was in the beginning and will be forevermore. Let's look at knowing the truth of the gospel, which we see in verses 1 to 5. The Apostle Paul, he begins his epistle, or his letter to the Galatians, by reminding them who he is and the calling that God has given them. And it says this in verse 1, Paul an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Paul here, he is stating that he is an apostle, not because he himself chose to be one, but because Jesus called him to be one, to be a messenger of God who is also an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus, as we see in Acts 9. Now, this is important for us to understand. For not only did it remind the Galatians that they were being instructed by a messenger of God, but it reminds us that, <clears throat> that this letter and the Bible as a whole was written by men, 
who were called to be messengers of God and not written because they personally wanted to say something or they had an itch to scratch. But rather, it is the Holy Spirit living in them and that it is the Holy Spirit desired for it to be written. For God did not need man to write down his word, but he did so to show his great love for us. Now the opening verse shows us, and not for the first time, that God's word is self-attesting. For it is God-breathed. And in 2 Timothy, it shows us that it means to be called God's word. It is what it claims. Therefore, it comes with divine authority. Now, this is a fundamental idea, that the Bible is actually from God. Therefore, because of what we know about God, that he is perfect in everything, therefore, the Bible, being God's word, is perfect. And therefore, the absolute, unchanging truth. But what is truth? So far this morning, we have seen from verse 1 that God's word is truth, But the main term that Paul talks about in this chapter is not the phrase God's word, but the gospel. Most of us think when we hear the term the gospel, we think of the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And while they are titled the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John, they are each not their own unconnected book. They are smaller parts of the whole counsel of God. We look at God's word as a whole, and it can be termed the gospel. From from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, we see the account of how God loved us before we could ever love him and saved us from our sin. And while we still see the fruition of God's love in the gospel, his love permeates all of Scripture. So what Paul here is saying in verse 1 is true, just as all of God's word is true, no matter if it is called the gospel or God's word. But what is the message of the gospel? Let's return to that question. It's important for us to understand the, the gospel is God's word and that it's absolute truth, but what is its content? What is it that is true? We start seeing it in the second half of verse 1 that Jesus was risen from the dead by God the Father. And that's the crux of all of this, and it's found in verses 3 and 4, saying this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. This is a beautiful doxology. Paul sums up the gospel here in one sentence, and really only in three key words. Grace, peace, and deliverance. Grace, or in other words, unmerited favor, what we do not deserve. God gave the gift of grace by sending his Son. For since the Garden of Eden, we have been stuck in sin. We, excuse me, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And our relationship with God was broken because God gave one rule. And Adam, 
acted as our representative in the garden for all of mankind. And we all share in His punishment. And our sin nature, our desire for the things of this world instead of the things of God, our ability to fall into sin, to be persuaded by false gospels, and to experience the wrath of God. All of this is because of the original sin of Adam, which is inherited by us. Yet God, He did something great. He did not desert us. He instead, He promised to send a Savior to deliver us from sin. Because we could not save ourselves. We cannot be perfect, no matter how hard we try. Therefore, out of love, by the grace of God, He not only sent a Savior to deliver us from our sin, He sent Himself. He sent the Son, Jesus, to be the Christ, the Savior, to live a perfect life, a life according to the law, to die a perfect sacrificial death, the needed death for us to be forgiven of our sin and to be raised to life on the third day to the glory of God the Father so that anyone who believes in Him will have eternal life with God forever and will have peace. For God delivers His people from their sin. By His grace, He gives them peace. Peace with Him. For if you are not a follower of God, if you do not have Jesus as your Savior, you are at war with God. And there is only one way this war ends, with surrender. Either you are surrendering your life to Him in death, as an enemy of God and spending eternity separated from God in hell from which there is no reprieve, which there is no parole, suffering for all of eternity or surrendering your life to God by asking for forgiveness, asking Him to save you, to have the blood of Jesus spilt on the cross of Calvary be added to your account. To be forgiven, not only of your previous sins and the sins of Adam, but all your sin, past, present, and future. Giving your life to Him to use for His glory. And with this peace, with this peace with God, just as Adam, ha Adam ha and Eve had in the garden with God before their sin, you too can know Jesus as your Savior and have that peace. Seek the Lord in prayer if you do not know Him. Call upon Him. Ask to be forgiven of your sin. Ask for the grace that comes only from the Lord Jesus. And today, you will be forgiven. And you will spend eternity with God. Praise be to God for His grace. Praise be to God for His peace. And praise be to God for his deliverance. For this is what Paul is trying to reinstill into the brothers and sisters in Christ in the churches of Galatia. The fullness of the gospel, which depends on God rather than on us. Paul's message, it is similar to his letter um, to the Ephesians when he gives an explanation of the gospel and God's love. 
In Ephesians 1 and 2 specifically, he says that God chose to save His people before He created the world. And how He loves us much more than we could ever love Him. And how He came to save us because we could not save ourselves. We're like a child. A child who's unknowingly fallen into a deep, dark well. It's cold, it's foreboding, and we cannot save ourselves from it. We cannot reach up. So God reaches down and grabs us and heaves us out of the pit, brings us into the safety of His arms, all on His own, all by His power and His love. For all of salvation, all parts of salvation are from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. And this is great news. This is wonderful news. And it doesn't end there. It gets even better. In verse 5, Paul continues, wherein he's speaking about God the Father and says this, To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Everything that God does by His works and by His mere existence brings God glory. And for each one of these things, He deserves all the glory. Like the doxology that we sing every Sunday, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. This morning, we began by singing a song, To God Be the Glory, a great hymn of the faith, written to the glory of God, to bring Him glory. And in it, we see a summary of the good news of the gospel, something that we must know by heart if we are to live in a culture that is becoming more and more hostile to our perfect, unchangeable God. And while we want to, may want to turn and run and hide away from the world, we cannot escape it completely, nor should we. For we are to be in the world, but not of it, loving people, sharing with them the love of God yet not loving the things of this world more than God. So how are we to do this? Not only by knowing God's Word is truth, but by knowing its content. Knowing God's Word by being in God's Word, by reading it often, by spending time in it. Not just seeing words on a page and going, all right, it's a checklist, I'm done, but rather spending time thinking on God's Word, meditating on God's Word, like a child learning a brand new word and repeating it over and over and over again until they understand how to use it properly. We must be like that with God's Word. Hearing God's Word also being taught, not only on Sunday mornings like we are now, but being in a group that's hearing it taught, like a care group or a small group, or having family worship, having it throughout the week. And also reading works about God's Word and how to apply it. They can be helpful as well. And praying and singing God's Word, as we have already done this morning. 
To sum it all up in a few words, we must be saturating our minds with His Word. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This should be our goal as well. The focus of our lives. To know Christ and to make Him known. Making known the absolute truth of the gospel. Even when we are fighting an uphill battle and a culture which seeks to make known false gospels instead of the trueness of the gospel. And this is what Paul addresses in verses 6 to 9, which say this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. If Paul was writing this today, this section would be in all caps, underlined and in bold to draw our attention to it, not because he's yelling, but because of the passion that he has for the gospel and the love that he has for brothers and sisters in Christ, both in Galatia and now, who are being lured into sin. Paul, in this section, he is telling his readers to beware of false gospels. Or in other words, beware of what sounds like God's word, but isn't found in God's word. In Paul's day, as I mentioned before, at the beginning of the sermon, there was a group of false teachers who would follow Paul around. And after he would leave an area, they would swoop in and teach something similar of what Paul was teaching, but added their own twist to it, added their own content, using the trappings of the culture and self-righteousness to make their gospel theirs, something different from the true, unaltered, unchanging gospel. These men, these were known as the Judaizers. So they sought to take the truth of God, which is salvation for all people, both ethnically, ethnically Jewish and for the Gentiles, meaning everyone who is not a Jew. Anyone who God desires will be saved, no matter what ethnicity they are, no matter what cultural background they are, no matter how old they are. Yet, these Judaizers added to the gospel, making it a gospel plus, a gospel plus works. For they were teaching that to be saved from sin, not only did you need to confess your sin and seek the forgiveness found in Christ alone, but you needed to become Jewish. You needed to take on the cultural trappings of the Jewish culture and be circumcised. Now this is a lie. Just like you don't need to be baptized to be forgiven of your sin. As we saw a few weeks ago when I baptized my youngest daughter Miriam, Baptism replaced circumcision as a sign and a seal of the covenant of grace. 
It shows entrance into the family of God, that you are his. But in no way does it save you. Just like circumcision didn't save the Jewish people. And being baptized did not guarantee you heaven. Only by the grace of God are you saved. Through faith in Christ. For not, it is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. So that no one can boast. Yet these Judaizers, they were teaching this heresy. A false gospel. And on top of that, they were preaching this false gospel in the name of Christ. They were being like what Joseph Pippa calls shadow apostles. Meaning that they followed Paul around like a shadow, sneaking around, staying away from the light of Christ, and trying to create a synagogue of Satan. A religion in which they made the rules instead of God. In which you can save yourself by performing a work, circumcision, to save yourself in addition to Jesus' death on the cross. For us today, it's the same song, different verse, yet it's still very similar to the first. We live in a world that accepts relativism. And, and, it def and it, it, it's a sobering sight that all religions are the same. No matter what they are, no matter if they contradict, no matter if they worship different gods. And yet, while all these false religions are dangerous, what Paul is teaching here is not against outright paganism or pagan religions, but ones that have the trappings of Christianity, yet are not on the foundation, the solid foundation of the whole counsel of God on his word. Now, these false gospels, they are all around us even today. I'm not talking about different denominations, nor am I talking about churches who teach and believe God's word, who administer the sacraments, who exercise church discipline. Rather, I'm speaking of false religions, ones who claim the gospel in part, but not the whole. What Paul refers to in verse 6 as a different gospel. They're out there, the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Westboro Baptist Church, and other similar cults. Those who claim Christ, but their Christ is one of their own making. Adding extra rules, adding extra regulations, adding additional holy books that we don't see in our closed, inerrant, and infallible scripture. Sometimes these false gospels are not a highly organized religion, just like I mentioned. Maybe sometimes they're just adding to Scripture, like living um, as if those sayings are the Word of God, like cleanliness is next to godliness, or God helps those who help themselves, or love is love. All of these false gospels and religions have the same problem that Paul is dealing with in Galatians. They have at their core a lie wrapped up in the trappings of the truth. In our day, because truth is all considered equally valid, regardless of its actual validity, it becomes even a bigger problem for sharing the gospel with the acceptance of contradictory truths as the norm makes evangelism very difficult. 
But we will deal with that in a minute. Right now, I want you to ask yourself, why did the Galatians fall for such a false gospel? They were trained by Paul, one of the most well-known evangelists, one who saw the risen Jesus, who was called by him, a person who wrote most of the New Testament. They had a great teacher. Therefore, how could they, as verse 6 says, so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel? The reason is because it was what they wanted to hear. It was not that the Galatians were dumb or that anyone who follows these false gospels are daft. Rather, they are letting their sinful desires guide them. For as we see in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 14, Satan comes disguised as an angel of light. As Paul alludes to in our passage in verse 8, Satan, he is cunning, he is crafty, and he seeks to destroy by turning and toying and manipulating God's word into his own. Like he did in the garden, adding, God's, adding words to God's commands to tempt Adam and Eve. Likewise, he uses our desires to make holy religion all about us, all about what we think is best, how much I like it, rather than what God commands. For Christianity is not about us. It is about God, loving God and worshiping Him, giving Him the glory. For it is to God be the glory alone, not ourselves, just as we saw in verse 5. Yet because of our sin nature, these false gospels, they entice us, especially when we are not in God's Word. As we learned in the first part of our passage, we are to know so that we can beware of false religions and false gospels. And to be aware, to beware of all of these things, we need to train ourselves. Now, do you remember this short-term, this, this short-lived TV show? Probably not. It was called Lie to Me. And I confess, I only think I watched one or two episodes, and there was only like six. But the main idea was this character was a human lie detector. He studied all types of facial expressions, words, body language, eye movement, all to know when someone was lying. And using this skill, he was able to help the police solve crimes. In the same vein, we must study God's word so we can tell the truth from the fake. The truth of God's word from a false gospel. Discerning the pearls of God's wisdom away from the rotting decay of excrement. For just as Paul was warning the Galatians, it is the same with us. We easily fall for false gospels and quickly if we don't know the truth well enough ourselves, if we are not having a steady diet of God's word, rather than relying on solely human, worldly wisdom, we see these false gospels as better than the real gospel, the truth, the absolute truth of God's word. For as Paul clearly teaches in verse 7, there is no other gospel. 
There can't be. For just as God is changeless, so is the gospel of grace. There is one sure foundation, and that is Jesus Christ our Lord. And he died to save his people from their sin. We also make this mistake of believing that we can steer around or that that we can avoid these false gospels all on our own, all by my works, all by things that I can do, instead of relying on the Holy Spirit to aid and to guide us. For this is one of the reasons God sent His Holy Spirit. For as He is sanctifying us, as He is changing us from the inside out, slowly, over time, He is also guiding us on the path of righteousness. Trust in God. Trust in His Word and Spirit and not solely on yourself. Solely on your understanding, your wisdom. For it is finite. It is fallible. While God's wisdom is infinite and infallible. Even when you think you can handle a false gospel on your own, trust in God. Continue to study His Word and rely on His Spirit. For false gospels, they're not always taught by people associated with certain theological ideas or certain ministries. A false gospel could be perpetrated by someone you trust. For Christians, we are sinful creatures and can err in our understanding. This is why you need to listen and to learn with a discerning ear. And hold your pastors like myself, elders, deacons, and teachers to the standards set in the gospel. And like Paul, if I or anyone teaches you against what is found in God's word, and like and is against, and like what is against what is in God's word, bring it before your session. Bring it before the elders, bring it before Mark and I to follow the Matthew 18 principle so that a person can see their sin, repent, and seek forgiveness, and have their relationship healed. For if they will not repent, not return from, um, turn from their sin, Paul teaches that they are to be accursed, or in other words, removed from the fellowship of the church, excommunicated, which is a very serious thing, so serious that not only does he bring it up in verse 8, but in verse 9 as well meaning it is doubly important. Know the truth of the gospel so you can beware of false ones. Now we come to the last section of our passage. Verse 10, which says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now it sounds like Paul is moving Moving on to a different point here. And while some scholars believe this is the case, I don't believe that he is. Rather, he is still addressing his apostolic credentials. He is seeing that he has the authority to speak to them, to teach to them, and to live as an example for them in the faith. Basically, this last verse, it moves from telling the Galatians to know and beware to finally live out the gospel. Live out the message and the truth of God's word. We as mankind, we love to do things on our own. 
just ask any toddler. Yet at the same time, we constantly desire the approval of others. We seek affirmation of our family, friends, co-workers, and teachers. Now, it's not a bad desire to have a good reputation at your work or to do well in your occupation, whether it's a student, whether it's a lawyer or a mechanic or any type of occupation. But this is not what Paul is addressing here. Rather, he is saying that it is, a, it is tempting to cower at the false religions and the false gospels that are all around you. It is tempting to say something like this, well, I know a certain sin is wrong. I know that everyone else is doing it around me and telling me it's okay. Am I, and I'm seeing on this on television. I'm reading about it in the news. I mean, I'm seeing it with my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers. Did God really say not for me to do this? I mean, is it really that bad? I mean, it's just a small sin. It's not hurting anyone. If you are a follower of Christ, you are not alone. All followers of God have gone through a similar line of thinking. Seeing and seeking to be like the culture. Seeking to fit in with it. To make life easier. To just give in to the temptation that is weighing you down. But, while it is hard to fight against it, we must. Do not fear Trust in God. Rely on His Spirit. For it is God you are doing this for. It is why you are resisting. It is why you are seeking to mortify, to kill your sin in the first place. By the aid of the Holy Spirit. For as Paul shows us in verse 10, if you are fighting against sin, against falling into these false gospels, you are seeking the approval of God rather than the approval of man seeking to follow the commands of God, seeking to live according to His Word, rather than giving in, rather than seeking the approval of man. So instead of changing the gospel to fit into the culture, seek to change the culture to reflect the gospel, holding high the cross of Christ. Sadly, and often we see people changing the gospel message to make it more palatable for someone, especially when we're, we're sharing in evangelism, as we're sharing the gospel with others. Now, I'm not talking about one small detail about God's word, about um, forgetting to mention about it, or even emphasizing a certain aspect of the gospel. Rather, I am talking about changing and lying about what God forbids and calling what God hates that God enjoys. Participating in a charade of God's word, making it a character of what God commands instead of holding high the standard of God, which is total obedience to his commands, regardless of any earthly consequences. We do this by sharing the unaltered gospel with others, his unchanging gospel. No matter where you are in life, if you are a child, if you're a teenager, if you're an adult, if you are a follower of Christ, you are called to share God's word and his deeds regardless of how the world receives them or reacts. In which it's a difficult time for us to do this, in a time of political correctness, in a time of endless sea of changing ideologies and changing um, views on things. 
yet the gospel, it cuts straight to the, all the heart of these ideas. For the gospel is the message of grace. It is the message of peace and deliverance from sin by Jesus Christ alone. The world, unbeknownst to them, is seeking for this in all of the wrong places. And by the power of His Spirit, by the power of God, He changes lives. He uses people to be in the lives of others, walking side by side with them, living out the gospel in front of them so that they may see God's grace that He is showing to you so you can share the gospel with them. For absolute truth, the gospel of grace cannot be taken down by relativism. Rather, the gospel is like a wrecking ball that breaks down the barriers and walls of, of their lives and shows people the shifting sand that they have built their foundation upon. How Jesus' blood and His righteousness is the only true foundation they need. So never give up in sharing the gospel. Even when it seems like it is being a fruitless endeavor, you may not see the fruit yourself, for it is not you who save people from their sin. It is God Himself. It is in His time. It is in His providence. And it is by His Word and Spirit. Praise be to God for bestowing His grace, His peace, and salvation upon the world and giving absolute truth the absolute truth of his word in an endless sea of relativism and false gospels. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for knowing that it is the absolute truth. Father, that you have given us the one true gospel which we see in your word which is inerrant and infallible and authoritative. Father, please help us to know you and to know your word so we can beware of all these false gospels and so that we can live for you in our ever-changing culture, following after your word, living according to your word, and sharing your word with others. Father, thank you Please help us to do this, not just today, not just tomorrow, but for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In just a few moments, we are going to respond with the hymn, The Church's One Foundation. Now, if you did not know, this hymn was written by a person in a denomination which was floundering. It was giving in to the progressive Christianity, denying basic tenets of the faith that Christ's work on the cross was not as important as certain cultural ideas. Therefore, in response, this person wrote what we're about to sing, which says this, The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is the, his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. This hymn, it's a summary of the